Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. If you're a fan of the show, write us a review and tell your friends about us. And if you donate at thebittersweetlife.net, you'll not only help keep the show going, you'll get a handwritten thank you note in the mail. And we will never forget you. Also, if you want to sponsor the show, contact us through thebittersweetlife.net. And if you're new, welcome. I'm Katie Sewell. This show begins in Rome, right after I quit my job as a senior producer for public radio and moved there. This was totally out of my character. My co-host is Tiffany Parks. She's a writer, author of Midnight in the Piazza, and she's my childhood friend. And she also moved to Rome, but over a decade ago. She flew there with no real plan and managed to stay. Don't be afraid to start way back at the beginning. I promise you'll be entertained. And don't be afraid to start thinking about how you might want your life to be different. We're all on this journey together. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today, Tiffany has been unleashed on the world. No, not really. (laughs) (laughs) Unleashed on Rome. You've been unleashed on Rome. We touched on this a little bit on your first solo excursion in Rome a week ago when you did the mini episode. Mm -hmm. But... You're getting out there a lot more than we in Seattle are getting out there these days. So tell me about anything that's happening in the outside world, please. <laughs> well, first of all, tell me, is anything open? Anything at all in Seattle? Oh, yeah. But see, some of the things that you guys closed in Rome have been open in Seattle all along. Like what? Like we always get takeout food, for instance. Okay. We can't go sit in a restaurant Okay. by any means, but we can get to go food You still can't get your hair cut. You couldn't get your nails done. All of that stuff is closed. But all along, we've kept open things like hardware stores and uh, I guess gardening centers and marijuana stores, of course. Essential in Washington State, apparently. (laughs) It's your basic necessities. (laughs) Liquor stores. Those have all, all been open all along. But you're not having any like social gathering places that are open. No, nope, nothing. All the churches and venues and concert halls all that stuff totally shut down we're still technically in phase one that is our phase one right now right so we we did an episode a couple weeks ago um in which we started talking about phase two but it was the soft open it was like step phase 1.1 kind of it wasn't i feel like now we're in phase two since a week ago monday we've really you know are in a true phase two so i think it was kind of like a um, like a transition period. And I think it was a good idea that they did it that way. Mm. So yeah. So last Monday, they opened up the uh, museums, but okay, they said museums can open. That doesn't mean all museums opened. In fact, there were hardly any open that Monday. And then, you know, during the week, there's been a little bit of a trickle. And some museums won't open until June, just because they're not ready. So that opened. And now pretty much any shop can be open, not just children's clothing and stuff like that. And now bars and restaurants are open. But the crazy thing is, you're supposed to sit so far apart. And so we didn't go into any restaurant. We did stop and get a a very, very quick drink at an outdoor place in Trastevere. 
and I kind of like peeked inside, but I didn't see a single person sitting inside. It wasn't actually very nice out. It was kind of a gray day, but it was warm. And I think people want to sit outside when they can anyway. But now, of course, people definitely want to be outside if at all possible. I don't know what's going on in restaurants. I'm curious to know how they're dealing with it, but not curious enough to actually go to a restaurant, at least not yet. I don't you know, I'm not much of a foodie. I mean, I like food, <laughs> but I do. I mean, like, you know, everybody likes food, right? But you eat it. I eat it if I have to. You need it to survive. But I've never been someone who's been passionate about food like so many other expats in Italy are. So I'm not one of those people who's been like, I need to go out and have a matriciana. Like I'm dying without it. I'd love to have a nice plate of pasta or a truly good pizza, but I can live without it. If I'm going to go to a restaurant and have to be sitting with a partition up. I've seen some pictures of not actual restaurants, but they were sort of like ideas of maybe what restaurants were going to do circulated about a month ago. And one of them was shocking. You know how Italian restaurants are so many times, like the tables are just like one long row of tables. Yes. And they had plastic partitions up between (laughs) these two-person tables. And I just thought to myself, you know what? I'd rather not even go out if Mm. that's... If that, and I'm sure they're not actually doing that. But they might be. They might be. I mean, I, I got to see what other people are posting and putting out there. But so, yeah, well, I mean, our first two walks in the city, as you heard from my bittersweet moment last week, we're really just walking around the center. This was before Monday. So we've only really been out one time since they opened up. Phase two open, not complete open, but you know what I mean. And, well, it's just nice to not have that sort of fear of being stopped by the police that we had up until last Monday. You know, you can have your little auto certificate there and you can have an excuse of where you're supposed to be and why you're out. But, you know, you never know if you're going to get one of those really nasty police officers who just wants to make a point, you know, and their fines are very, very high here up to 4,000 euros. <laughs> That's amazing. That's so <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous. Incredible. It's ridiculous, right? It's ridic- And jail time as well. I mean, jail time, I think, only comes in if you were lying on your auto certificate. But yeah, it's ridiculous because people are suffering so much right now financially to be like, okay, we're just going to fine you $4,000 because you happened to go out to take a walk, but you're not wearing jogging shoes or, you know, whatever. I don't know anyone that this actually happened to. But I do know, and we went out about a week ago, actually, before May 18th, before the the full phase two, and we noticed a police car stopped for a while with several people around it. They were clearly writing a ticket or checking documents. We were having some supply, and we were just sort of standing in the street, We had our masks, we had our gloves. Obviously, you don't need to wear the mask and the gloves when you're outdoors, but you need to have it when you go into any kind of shop or restaurant. And a very famous journalist, TV journalist, later posted that she was stopped. She was the person who was stopped. Like when we saw that car, it was her. She basically, her mask, the little ear strap had broken on one side and she still had it on and she was holding it up to her face but it was broken and maybe it fell down for a second. I mean, I didn't witness this exact thing, but they stopped her and they fined her $4,000, 4,000 euros. And I mean, she probably can afford it because she's a TV celebrity, but 
it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And that's actually something that I want to maybe touch on a little bit in this episode is, which is, I think, a big difference between Italy and America. And that is the reliance on laws in this country. Yes. Well, I was going to ask you about that because I suppose some people would, many people would see that as extreme, extreme enforcement. I see it as extreme. Yeah. But do you feel that there's a reason why they're going to such extremes? I kind of do. I kind of, knowing Italians, knowing the Italian <laughs> culture and mentality, they're, you know, they're known for being rule breakers, you know, they don't line up. Yes. One of my favorite things. Yeah. So I think that sometimes people are like, well, if there aren't really strict rules and these things aren't controlled legally and enforced legally, then no one is going to follow the rules. And I, I really in a sense, do you think that that's right? The weekend before all of Italy went on lockdown, we took a walk in the city. We went out to eat that weekend and there were so many people out. I mean, not as much as usual because there were very few tourists, but you know, we're walking by restaurants and restaurants just full of people. And I think that that's one of the reasons they made the lockdown so strict. They had already said, you know, try to stay at home. I mean, there was already the whole Io resto a casa, people being encouraged to stay home, but there was no law about it yet. And they clearly saw people aren't following this, so we're going to have to make it official. Yeah, I know, but I feel like the same thing happened here. In early March, when the lockdown may have not been official, but was imminent, people could feel that it was coming. Mm-hmm. People like Derek and I had already started lockdown. The bars were insane. Were they? Yeah. A bartender friend of mine said that it was the busiest he'd been in his whole life. You know, everybody trying to get their last hurrah. Do it until they can't do it anymore. Well, yeah. I mean, that was the same mentality we had that night. I said, Claudio, we got to go out for a pizza tonight because we've been talking about it for ages. We got to go out for a really good pizza because I have a feeling we're not going to be able to do this for much longer. And I was right. But yeah, I mean. Which when you think about it is kind of a weird thing to do. It's a selfish thing to do. Yeah. So, I mean, it's almost like human nature and maybe we just don't have the ability to crack down like that in the United States just from a legal standpoint. Maybe the people wouldn't put up with it. Claudio and I were talking about it earlier. He said Americans have a different um, sense of personal freedom. They take their personal freedom very, very seriously. Yes. And, you know, Italians... They lived under fascism, and obviously not everybody was okay with it, but at the beginning, it was popular. You know, people were happy with it at the beginning, and it's a country that has a lot of laws, and I mean, I could find the number, but it's a ridiculous number. It's something like multiple times more than your average country has, and every so often, these new laws come out based on what we can do during this time, you know, like there was the the first law that was like, okay, Milan is the red zone, all of that northern area is the red zone, and, and in Rome, restaurants will be closed, but that's it. And then there was a second law that was like, no, the whole country is locked down. And anyway, they, they, these laws are coming out, and I and the new law finally came out last Monday, and I said to Claudio, oh, you know, what's in the law? Because he'll sit and read the whole thing. He won't just like read the article written in the newspaper about it. He'll read the law. And he started to describe this to me, and I finally had to be like, I have to go because you're talking too long. Uh, it, was, 
<laughs> it was. I have now become terribly sick of the sound of your voice. I need to go. No, it was funny because I actually had to make dinner for Aurelio. Just tell me like the basics really quick. Tell me what I can and cannot do. And he goes into this ext- ridiculous. I mean, it, I was standing there for 15 minutes and I kept being like, I'm going. And he's like, no, 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 just let me finish. And I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. My child has to eat. <laughs> I'm going to be here all night. <laughs> he was telling me how they make the law and the law comes out. I don't, I probably misunderstood him. It was so complicated, but he was like, that law is not actually enforceable. After they do that law, they have to do another law. And that's the law that actually enforces the first law. But then they have to do another law that explains how to carry out the first law. It was ridiculous. <laughs> and like three or four different laws had come out in the space of two days and they were each hundreds and hundreds of pages long (laughs) you know what this is why this country is so screwed not only are there so many laws but who has the time or even the ability to read and understand all of this it's ridiculous it's something that is very specific to this country this excessive obsession with laws and regulations and the wordiness of it and the papers and the papers and the papers. I think, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was Winston Churchill who said, we could totally beat the Italians. All we have to do is bomb the papermaking factories because without their papers, they would be powerless. It's true. So anyway, all that is to say, we went out the other day for a walk mainly, but we decided to stop and get a drink in this outdoor place, this outdoor cafe. And I got to tell you, Katie, it was crowded. So you said you wanted to hear a little bit about the protocol. So they definitely wiped our table down with more than just the dirty, wet rag that you usually see (laughs) in Italian bars. (laughs) Probably every place, really. Yeah. They sprayed it down with something and they wiped it down. Were they wearing masks? They did have masks on. They did have masks, but it was kind of like the the Italian style of mask, which is like around the chin or, you know, maybe just the nose out. They're not very good at wearing masks here. Some people are, but... It's the same here. (laughs) We won't blame your uh, countrymen for that. That seems to be universal, at least in the United States. I feel like if you don't want the mask on, don't wear it. Don't use up a mask that somebody else could use just to wear it around your chin. I don't know. I don't get it. Obviously, when you're eating, I understand. Yes, you need to take. But okay. So we showed up. We had our masks on. We had gloves with us, but we did not have them on because we were outside. But everybody sitting around and there were probably 10 or 12 tables. They clearly had not done anything to distance the tables from each other. You guys have a stricter rule of, I want to say, six feet of distancing. Yeah. I mean, it's not like the tables were touching each other or right at right next to each other. But I'm pretty sure that I was within a meter of at least a couple of other people. And something in me was like, should we even be here? You know, I kind of felt like, are we contributing to this problem? And we wouldn't do it again. I mean, we would go out for an aperitivo, but we wouldn't go to a place that was that crowded or that the head table so close together. I kind of felt felt bad afterwards. Um, But what really shocked me was that, and you talked about being paranoid. I'm not that paranoid, but maybe I am because the waiter, there was somebody passing by outside the little, you know, fenced off table area. And the waiter recognized him and said hello and they like shook hands no gloves 
that's like one of the rules. Like you do not shake hands. Yeah, you got an elbow bump. Yeah, and it was the waiter. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Here he is bringing me my drink. And with, you know, did you mix that drink with you, the hand that you just... And then I saw a girl come and, you know, she was coming to sit with her friends and they kissed cheeks. Yeah. I mean... Uh, I mean, I guess it's like, it felt, you know what it felt like, Katie? It felt like, it was weird. It was a weird experience because it felt like none of it had happened. How so? It felt like there was nothing, nothing was changed. What was changed? The only thing that was changed in that moment was that they, they were wiping down the tables with a kind of detergent. Not a single person sitting at the tables had masks on. Mm. We put our masks on as soon as we finished our drinks, but we didn't have them on while we were drinking. And no, but not a single other person had a mask on who was sitting down and the waiters just sort of had them up and down. Nobody had gloves on. It was like nothing had changed. Mm -hmm. Those two months, two and a half months that we had just passed that they hadn't happened. Hey, it's Katie popping in real quick with a huge thank you. We asked you to help us pay a massive bill in the coming weeks, and you have been stepping up to help. We are incredibly grateful. Web hosting fees come due. It's just that this year with the virus, Tiffany and I have needed your help. We are, like many of you, currently underemployed. But I have been breathing easier, thanks to those of you who have donated. I can't even tell you how much it means to me. If you want to pitch in, it's not too late. If you love the show, support it if you can. There are links to donate in the show notes, or visit thebittersweetlife.net and click the donate button. Anything you can give is most welcome. And a big thanks this week to Jane and Michael, Christy and Joanna, Gigi and Mickey. Thank you for helping out, for letting us know you're out there and that you're glad we are too. Thank you so much. Now, back to the show. It's interesting here because of the six-foot rule. All of those of you who are listening in different parts of the country, we are all doing different things. Every state is different. Mm-hmm. But here in Seattle, the six-foot rule has become such a thing that not only are we being really judgy when people get within six feet of each other, you know, you're always like, what are they thinking? I don't even know how many <laughs> conversations that Derek and I have had like that. But it's also so ingrained at this point that if you're in a room with somebody else, it's almost like your magnets that are pushing apart, pushing apart. You know, so if somebody will has to step over this way, the other person will kind of that's me turning my chair, pivot <laughs> in this direction to try to get further away, almost as if, you know, you're tethered together in some way, but you can't come near each other. And then when you do have to come near each other for some reason, like I have to get by you. It's like a fish speeding up in a river. You know, you're just sort of like zing, trying to get around them as fast as possible. And I have no idea how long it will take to correct that feeling with people. Once it's an all clear, everyone will just fall into each other's arms or if we'll always have this six feet distant paranoia going on. I got to be honest. I think it will just, I think everyone will get over it really quickly. I really do. That's what being in Rome the other day and seeing people interact made me feel. And I even started falling into it myself. You know, I wasn't looking at people and being like distancing myself as we walked down the street. I just wasn't even thinking about it anymore. 
maybe for me personally, it's because I have spent so little time with other people during this time. It's not like I've been one of those people who works in a supermarket and has had to go into work every day. So has been hyper aware of other people. I've been at home, unless I go into the supermarket or the pharmacy, I've been at home. I don't know, but I just feel like this is, at least here, it's almost like there was this moment that seemed to last forever and that overtook our minds and our lives for so long, and now it's over. It really feels like it's over. I mean... Like over, over. I don't mean that it feels like the threat of the disease is over. No, but I feel like the social aspect of it with this new rule that you can see friends again and that you can go to restaurants and bars has given people the excuse to act like everything's fine. In fact, I just saw in the paper, because Claudio picked up the paper today and he showed me, he was like, look, they're going to be cracking down on pubs that do what, what we were all doing which is sitting too close together. And he said that, no, they're going to be much stricter now because of what they clearly saw in this first week. And that anyone who's sitting too close together without a mask on is going to be fined. And knowing Italians, I know that they're capable of doing that. And I imagine that they will find the restaurants as well. So maybe things, you know, maybe it was like this sort of like first week, people getting their footing and figuring out how it's going to be. And maybe it'll correct a little bit and it won't be so back to normal business as usual. Uh, But that's how it felt is all I'm saying. That's how it felt. And when I look out my window and I see people on my street and so many, there's so many kids in my neighborhood and you know, the parents and they're chatting and they're standing right next to each other and their kids are playing together. And it just makes me feel like none of it ever happened. And it makes me worry. And like I said, I'm not a huge worrier and I try not to be paranoid, but it does kind of make me worry that this could cause potentially a huge spike in cases again. And we could have another wave right away, not three months from now, but now, because suddenly people are not being careful anymore. And it will mean that all of what we just did was for nothing. All of the jobs lost, all of the income lost, all of the time alone, all of the kids who haven't been able to go to school was for nothing. So like I said, we're not going to be, at least not anymore, contributing to that. Although we will go out, but we won't be in in crowded places. What, the word quarantine comes from an Italian word meaning what, 40 days? Mm-hmm. Quarantena. Quarantena. The 40-day mark is when people just start to get impatient. Over here in Seattle, it's probably around 60 days now, maybe a little more, that it's been official, officially, under a stay-at-home order. Yeah. And... I do think people are getting a little crazy. Like, I do think they're starting to let their guard down. I think it's also a matter of time of when it becomes normal enough where you think, well, it's been so long, I haven't gotten it yet. Yeah. So maybe I'm not at risk of it anymore. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, I could see that. But um, it's, yeah, it's, who knows? We're going to just have to wait and see. But I just was very surprised to see how little it seems to, it it just seemed unreal. It just seemed like, you know, we'd gone, we went to sleep a month and a half ago, two and a half months ago, and we just woke up and nothing has changed, except that people are walking around in masks now. Has it become a fashion statement yet? Does anybody have a 
You know how in the newspapers they're advertising all these really hip, cool-looking masks? Yeah, people have really cool ones. I want I want a nice one. I might enlist my mother-in-law, who's a former seamstress, to sew me something with some pretty fabric because I'm kind of bored of wearing the blue and white one. And my son needs one because the adult ones don't fit him. Oh, yeah. So I might have her make some... But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see how things go in Seattle as well. And like you said, if people continue to distance, I don't think they will, though. I think people are so looking forward to feeling normal again, that even if it's not a good idea, they'll let their guard down anyway, just so that they can feel normal again. And I have to say, it was nice to sit in a cafe and pretend, (laughs) maybe pretend that everything was normal and that we're just having a nice drink in a nice spring afternoon just like we always did i'm a little bit jealous <laughs> sort of i've always been a little bit of a germaphobe although i always felt like that was a little extreme to call me that i think both me and one of my sisters we just if we go into a restaurant and the food is about to come or as some friends complain when the food gets there we'll get up and like wash your hands yeah get up and go wash our hands uh isn't that normal? Isn't that what you should do? Or open shop doors with your sleeve. I've done that all along. I've always moved through the world like I was going to catch something at any point. And in part because I didn't want to get the flu. I don't even want to get a cold. You know, I just don't want to get anything. So I'm super aware of where my hands are when I'm in public. But just the other day I had to go out. I, I agreed to you remember when I told you that <laughs> remember when I told you that there was a woman from a local church that was calling me every Monday and checking and seeing how we were doing yeah yeah so a ways back when Derek and I moved back to Seattle we we moved to a neighborhood that has a lot of churches and we thought well won't it be fun to just go see what all of them are like see inside of all of these buildings and this was the first one we went to one Sunday only and ever since then they've been on a campaign to get us to be a part of that church. So by, I should mention, treating us like we're a part of that church. <laughs> you know, We're on their call list. And then the other day, the pastor called and asked if I could give her some advice on how to get her audio online, which of course, sure. And then yesterday, she was in a bind and she asked me if I could please come videotape the service for Sunday because they needed somebody to be there filming it. They're having service. Well, they do them online. She films on them on a Wednesday and then they post on a Sunday. Oh, right. Okay. So are you free this morning to please come help me film this? And so I said, sure. And I put on a mask and gloves. And when I show up, of course, nobody, there's only four of us, but nobody has anything on. The whole time I'm doing this, as she's giving a sermon, they're singing a couple hymns. I'm remembering this story that came out very early in the pandemic where a choir practice happened. I don't know if you heard that story, but a choir practice happens around March 10th. I heard it. I heard it. You know, and I believe that people at the practice even were wearing masks, even were standing far enough apart. Well, they weren't hugging. I I read the article. They were not hugging. That's for sure. No. And I think that they were standing further apart. Yeah. And but singing is bad just sprays it everywhere 52 people got it and two of them died just from going to a choir practice and i had that thought while i'm there standing in front of them as they're singing and thinking <sighs> oh jeez this would be a really dumb thing to have done Jeez, if it ends up killing me or somebody i love well you had the mask on though 
Yeah, but just like a flimsy paper mask. It wasn't like a yeah. you know, a fortress. So right. I don't know. I, I think I'm not saying that I actually feel like I'm in danger, but but even having all those thoughts throughout this process where you're both working together and at the same time thinking all these other things, all these stuff that you've read in the newspaper, man, I had a headache after that service. Did you? you? Yeah, because I, it's stressful. It's stressful in a weird way that I never would have expected to just do sort of normal average things. So I, I'm totally looking forward to being able to go to a bar again. But I'm at the same point, I'm like, well, how long will it be before we feel like, oh, that's, that's cool. You know, let's just, let's just go. I think it depends on your personal ability to, I don't want to say deny reality. That's a bit <laughs> harsh. <laughs> because I think you and I differ in that. I think that you are much more of a, I don't know how to just say this. Is this insulting? <laughs> no, it's not insulting. If anything, it's insulting to me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I feel like you have your beliefs, if for lack of a better word. Mm. And I'm not talking about religious beliefs or anything, but you know and believe that it's very dangerous. There are these risks and these are the risks. You're, you're more analytical, like you're more scientific than me. And I'm more, I think, a little bit more like, well, I feel safe, so I'm just going to not worry about it. It's very easy for me to not worry about things. Mm. And I'm not saying I'm totally putting myself or others at risk. I've been very careful this whole time. <laughs> I've been totally obeying the rules. Yes. <laughs> except for that one little drink that could have been avoided probably. But it's very easy for me to like put things to not think about things. It's like a superpower, do you think? I don't know. Maybe maybe it is. Maybe it's my recent meditation habit, Katie. Ooh. You remember how this is a very, very brief tangent. Remember <laughs> our New Year's resolutions? Yeah. I think we should, in a future episode, <laughs> revisit our New Year's resolutions because huh. we had no idea what was coming when we made those resolutions. And I think some of them became impossible to keep and some of them became much easier to keep, mm. strangely. And I'm on a record 38 consecutive days of meditation. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I think mine are out the window for this year. Oh, all, oh well, yeah. What, what, what was yours? Didn't you want to go skeet shooting or something? Yeah, I'm going skeet shooting. I was supposed to take the Empire Builder to Chicago this summer. Shoot. Which I set money aside to do, by uh, the way. I was on track to do that. Uh, yeah. Well. <laughs> skeet shooting. That's not going to happen. I think there was one other one, but I don't remember. Oh, I was going to try to get uh, to revise my flaming drink into a more satisfying flaming drink from the year before. Right. You could do that at home. I could. <laughs> if you have like a fire extinguisher. We have a few. Uh, but yeah, you know, Claudio is a worrier and I think he's a, an excessive worrier and he thinks that I don't take anything seriously as far as worries go. I take plenty of other things seriously. His worriness and his caution pushes me in the other direction pushes me to be less cautious and pushes me not to worry about things. First for my own sanity, but also for my child. I'm like, he's already getting plenty of worry from that side yeah. of the parental tree. You know, he doesn't need to get it from me too. That's fair. So, um, you know, if he wants to jump off of the two foot high little walls that surround the garden or whatever, you know, he can do that. I don't need to hold his hand. Yes, he could fall on his face, sure. 
but uh, I'm just going to assume that he won't. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that funny? We, I have the same thing with Derek where he'll say, we're definitely getting on such and such a program. And I'm like, you might be. <laughs> you don't come tell me what program we're getting on around this house. You got to sell it to me. You got to like make me buy in. Otherwise, you can go ahead and do that on your own. Would you go as far as to refuse to do something that you actually want to do because he told you you were going to do it? I think I just have a visceral, I don't want to do that if you tell me that we're going to do it. It would make you change your mind. It would make you not want to do it anymore. Maybe. I don't know if we've ever been in that circumstance. It's usually something like, let's fast all day or like, <laughs> let's, th- for the month of May, we're not eating any meat of any kind or, you know, something like that. And I'll just say, you are welcome to do that. I'm not, I'm not going <laughs> to promise to do that. So I'm a little bit more rebellious in that way. So one last question I want to ask. The museums opened last week. Did you go to anything? We are going tomorrow. So we're taping this on um, the weekend before. And Sunday, our plan is to go to the Borghese Galleries. Mm. Yes. So, you know, we talked about it because I'm like, let's go to a museum every day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, we're not working. Yeah. But he's like, oh, you know, but, you know, do we really want to put ourselves in that risk? And do we want to put Aurelio in that risk? And... So he's more of the, as I, you know, as I said, the, the risk management type. And how did you decide which one you were going to first? So it was my decision, but I picked the Borghese Gallery because it's usually pretty crowded. It's not nearly as crowded as the Vatican Museums because they control the number of people who come in. But even doing so, it gets really crowded. And it's a smallish museum, and it's... Such an incredibly beautiful museum. The idea of being able to take photographs there with no one else or, you know, almost no one else there is just too good to pass up. And Aurelio's never been there as well. And Claudio hasn't been there in ugh, so long. And even I haven't been there in a long time. It's incredibly beautiful. And there's lots of Caravaggio paintings there and Bernini sculptures and some other wonderful things. My favorite Raphael painting, I think, in the world is in that museum. Which is? The deposition from the cross. It's incredible. Uh, Stolen from Perugia by Scipione Borghese. Interesting story, but I won't go into that. Uh, You can tell it real quick. Now we're all dying to know. Well, you know, the guy who built Galleria Borghese, Scipione Borghese, who was the nephew of the Pope at the time, was like this art lover. But he was the most unscrupulous art lover you can possibly imagine. So he was always doing these totally nefarious things to get his hands on art. One of the things he did was he had that painting literally stolen by his goons from a church in Perugia. Just they went in and took it off the high altar. And people knew this? People knew, but he was so powerful. He was the Pope's nephew. Like He was untouchable. You couldn't do anything to him. And the other thing he did was uh, he loved Caravaggio. Caravaggio, when he first moved to Rome, studied under and worked under this slightly less important artist. He was more important at the time, named Cavalier d'Arpino. And this Cavalier d'Arpino had a lot of Caravaggio paintings in his own personal collection because Caravaggio had worked for him. And so to get his hands on them, Scipione Borghese found a way to get this artist on um, like tax evasion. I don't know if he trumped up the charges or if they were real, but he basically was like, okay, give me your Caravaggio paintings and you'll avoid jail time. And that is why there are so many Caravaggio paintings in Borghese Gallery. Wow. Yeah. Sometimes history's villains turn into history's heroes. <laughs> well, 
I still think he is evil. Yeah. But I think the story is interesting, and I and I definitely am glad that we have that museum to visit. But anyway, so that's where we're going, and uh, we're gonna take the opportunity also to play a little bit in the park afterwards, because it's obviously the museum is inside Villa Borghese Park. It's also easy to park there, and, and I hate to say it, but that is something that we have to consider, especially because we're not planning to take public transportation at this time. So we need to be able to park, and we need to be able to park somewhere where it's not too far, because Aurelio does not have a stroller anymore, but he's still a little kid who gets tired, and we don't want to have to carry him. So You're right. <laughs> but uh, I, really, I really wanted to go to Galleria Colonna, but you know, places like that, even like the Capitoline Museums, which are my favorite, they're never really crowded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially if you go during the off-season. If you go during the off-season, you're the only person in there, practically. If I want to go somewhere where it's going to be really, really special. And I think that next week we're going to go to the Coliseum, which is opening on May 25th, because that place is always packed. So it'll be really nice to see it nearly empty. I'm a little bit jealous because mm. we were talking about... What are we going to rush off to see when Seattle reopens and <laughs> nothing? <laughs> the Seattle Art Museum? Hey, Seattle Art Museum. <laughs> uh, sure. But the Seattle Art Museum is not like going to the Borghese Gallery. Yeah. They do some good stuff and they have a couple nice paintings in their permanent collection. But I mean, it's not like the historic gorgeous adventure that it is to go pretty much anywhere <laughs> museum-wise in Rome. Yeah. <laughs> so. So yeah, there's really nothing that you culturally, besides maybe wanting to go see a show or something, but culturally yeah. there's not a lot of things that we're like, oh, I can't wait to get back to, you know, X, Y, Z. You know, I can't wait to stride mm-hmm. through the Pike Place Market. You know, Nope. <laughs> Happily, we'll walk through the Pike Place Market when it's just empty right now. That seems better. You are in a f- much finer spot in a way to have exciting things to go to when this is all over. For me, the exciting things would be the people, which we'll still have to stay apart from. So That's definitely true. Or they might just say, who cares? Go see your friends and kiss them on the cheek. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're not going to say that. <laughs> All right, well, we should leave it there. Next week, we're planning on doing a show about time. We're going to have a time expert on, kind of like we had a memory expert on. So if you have any interesting thoughts about how time has been working for you during this period of time, this quarantine. What has it been like? How do you relate to time now after months of lockdown? Send us a voice memo and maybe we'll include it as a part of the show. You can send it to bittersweetlife at mail.com. It's bittersweetlife at mail.com. You can also email in your thoughts or send them to us on social media. If we get some good ones, we'll share it on the show sound good sounds good you can find us on social media just search for the bittersweet life podcast on the big three facebook instagram and twitter and until next time this is the bittersweet life i'm katie sewell i'm tiffany parks join us again bye thanks to Lori lee elliott for her help managing the bittersweet life on youtube and to sarah johnson for her consultation our logo is made by jody rick at the lost laboratory with painting assistance by our muse caravaggio You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search for The Bittersweet Life Podcast. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show. That way we're here for you every week, both on Monday and now on Thursday. And if you review us on Apple Podcasts, we'll be grateful for you. Send us your topic ideas, questions, and voice memos. We're at 
bittersweetlife at mail.com or at the contact us page at thebittersweetlife.net.